If you could also turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31. Genesis 31. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 21. It's also there in your bulletin. Good morning. Hear from God's word from Genesis. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he, sold, he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Would you join me in prayer once again? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us in all aspects of our life. Everything that we need to hear, everything that we need to live on, everything that we need to understand our life, to find joy, to find purpose, to find hope. Uh, it's found in your word. Um, I pray that you would make this word and uh, make my words active through your spirit in our lives to search into our hearts and to 
um, to bring us conviction and to bring us healing as both are needed. And most of all, Lord, to lift up Jesus uh, and our, our need for you, our need for you as our, our hope uh, and, and who we look to. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we are uh, the, the last uh, Sunday, as Isaac mentioned, last Sunday before Advent. So uh, starting next Sunday, uh, at, at least for this year, we're going to do a, a dedicated uh, Advent sermon series. Uh, but we've been now for three months tracking through the life of Jacob and uh, particularly focusing on the central theme of God and how he redeems and uses flawed people. And we've seen in Jacob a number of flaws. He, he's, a, he's a rather flawed person, and uh, this should give us hope that despite our many flaws ourselves, if we're honest, that um, if we're trusting in Jesus, God is going to be faithful to us, that God is going to redeem us, He is going to use us in powerful ways, and that, that's because of His grace, not our goodness or our merit. Uh, and this passage wraps up what has been a very hard season in Jacob's life. It's not that like any hard season, this is the case, and it's not like it's been totally without joys or blessings or bright spots, but it has really in the past 20 years as he's been working from Laban, as Jacob has been away from his home and his family that he grew up with, this has been a hard season. And I don't know what kind of season of life that you are in right now, and I don't know how you would characterize a season of life you just came out of, but I think that, if truth be told, every season of life is hard. It just They're hard in their own ways. Now, Liz and I will sometimes joke about this you know, principle when you, you think in terms of how you viewed adulthood when you were a child, like, like, a, like a kid, and you thought, you thought life was going to be when you were an adult, and, and many manifestations of that, but one of them is you know, when you were a kid, you're looking at adults and you think, man, how great it must be that you can have a cookie anytime you want. You know, like, you don't have to ask anyone's permission. You don't have to have any other balance in here. You don't have anybody, um, you know, restricting you. You can have as many cookies as you want. You can have a pantry stocked with every sort of cookie imaginable. And, and if you want, at 10 o'clock at night, you can go in there and stuff your face with cookies. And, and nobody's going to stop you. Like that, when you get to that season of life, that's when you really are going to have it made. That must be really awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, you become an adult, and uh, you, you realize that, um, yes, although you have this unlimited cookie-eating power, right, it, it just it hasn't quite equated to the, the bump in quality of life that you were imagining this was going to be. Uh, you know, first of all, right, because your metabolism doesn't really support just the, the vast devouring of cookies at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and then, of course, secondly, yes, you know, even though you have this, this great unlimited cookie access, you know, that, that hasn't quite offset 
all of the additional responsibilities that have landed on your plate from when you were six. Uh, so it hasn't, hasn't quite balanced out. And, and my point in, in saying all of this is that as we enter into this story in Jacob's life, or, and we try to glean, well, what does God have to say for us? What, what does God have for me in, in his faithfulness, his provision to Jacob through Jacob's hard season of 20 years? We've got to realize that this side of heaven, every season of life is going to be hard. It's going to have hard things, and yet God has ways that He wants to use those things. He wants to speak into our lives during those times, and we need to be alert to that. Now, I recognize that when I talk about seasons of life, there's a bit of vagueness to that term, right? What are we talking about the season of, of life? You know, how long uh, is that constituted? And uh, I, that's actually why I use this term. Actually, there's quite a bit of vagueness and flexibility. You, you can have a hard season of life that, is, that lasts for a few weeks. You can have a hard season of life that lasts for a few weeks decades. Right? Now, although those two are going to feel very different, they're going to have different things, there are similarities in what God wants us to see. There's the same principles underneath right, of how God wants us to, to look to Him and how He is going to care for, how He is going to redeem and deliver His people in hard seasons. And so the main point for us uh, is that in hard seasons of life, we need to trust and follow God. <laughs> that is an incredibly simple point, right? But it just we can't learn that deeply enough, that in hard seasons, we've got to just trust and follow God, follow Jesus in that. And as we look at this passage for Jacob, we're going to talk about what makes this particular season a hard one for Jacob. What are the particularities of that? Uh, and then we'll look at God's deliverance from that. Uh, and then lastly, we're going to see Jacob's exodus, which should point us toward the exodus that God has for all of us. God always provides an exodus of sorts for his people in hard season. He's going to have that where he delivers his people out of hard seasons. Now that might not look the way we imagine that it will look, but he always has an exodus, a deliverance. So Jacob's hard season, God's deliverance, and an exodus. That's where we're going this morning. So first, let's think about Jacob's hard season. What makes this uh, pastime, these 20 years, working for Laban, such a particularly challenging and hard season? You can answer that really in one word. It's Laban. Laban is what makes this really hard. Uh, The the more that you read uh, this story, the more that you get into it, and and the more that that Laban's character emerges, uh, Laban is the kind of guy Right? As you see who he is, he manages to make Jacob look like a really compassionate, generous, upstanding, straight-shooting kind of guy. And that is not an easy task, but that is how bad Laban is. 
And so during uh, Jacob's employment, during his, his time of tenure with Jacob, we find out that besides this initial cheating that happened where Laban cheated him out of the wife he was supposed to get, Rachel, and then uh, he, he cheated him into squeezing seven more years of unpaid labor out of uh, Jacob, that besides all of that, now during the past six years of, of paid labor for Jacob, Laban has changed his wages ten times. Ten times. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And I think it's safe to say that none of these times were probably uh, a promotion or cost of living adjustment. Right? These were all probably going the other way for Jacob. And, uh, you know, in, in Hebrew, this expression ten times is a bit more of an expression. Like we might say something like, you know, he changed his mind a dozen times, all right? But no matter the exact precise number of what's happening, we can be very clear that despite Jacob's efforts we read about earlier to secure a very exact, very precise deal for himself, that Laban has continued going back on his word. He has continued cheating Jacob and sort of swindling him. And since Laban is the boss... Uh, Since all of the livestock that Jacob are managing are Laban's property, uh, there's there's not a whole lot that Jacob can do about this. Uh, There's not really anyone he can appeal to. He he doesn't really have much recourse. And now we find out that uh, Laban has actually been uh, becoming jealous of Jacob. Right, so, uh, which is a little bit uh, ironic because a lot of Jacob's success is actually benefiting Laban. Um, but he, he has started spreading this message among his sons, among the other workers, that Laban is really the victim. Right? That uh, Jacob's wealth, all of his, his riches, all of his success really have come from the fact that Jacob has been skimming off the top. That Jacob has been enriching himself at Laban's expense instead of the truth, which is that Laban had been enriching himself at Jacob's expense. And so during this hard season for Jacob, not only is he being treated unfairly, but now he is also being spoken of unfairly in this unfair treatment. And Jacob, as he reflects on this season... He knows that one of the reasons, one of the things that makes this so hard for him is that Jacob actually, for the most part, has been really working hard and being honest uh, in his dealings with Laban. And it seems as if during this season of oppression of Jacob, that in this, God has actually been driving out some of the deceitfulness from Jacob's heart from Jacob's way of life. That Jacob, as he has been tricked and undermined at every turn, at every pass, he, Jacob, has actually turned away from doing the tricking, from doing the deceiving and the undermining. Partially maybe because he's just learned he can't win. He can't beat Laban at this game. And so in place of this nature of scheming and heel-grabbing, Jacob has now become more honest. He's actually become more simply reliant on God to deliver him and God to take care of him. 
Right? And this, by the way, is at least part of what God is always up to in hard seasons of our life. That if we are humble, if we are receptive, if we are living our lives with an openness to what God has to say for us, that, that during hard seasons we will begin to realize ways in which we have been wrong. Ways in which we have been doing hard things, not just the other way around. Right? And, and we will start to see perhaps more clearly in somebody else things that you can't see in yourself. Right? But, but things that you will not want to replicate. You will want to spare other people from going through the same kinds of hardship that you had to go through. Right? And so during hard seasons, God wants to use those as opportunities for, for softening us, or for growing us in tenderness and, and in compassion towards others. And if that sounds unfamiliar, if that sounds strange or, or not your experience, it probably means that those hard seasons in your life have actually had the other purpose which is that they have served as opportunities for hardening you. Right? That, that you have grown in being more cynical and more callous as a result of that. Right? Because hard seasons are going to have one of those two effects on us. It's going to harden you or it is going to soften you. And the question, there's a question that determines which way that you respond. Which, which way are you being shaped by that? And the question that determines that is, is how do you think about what's going on? Right? Do, do you think about what's going on as ultimately, I don't deserve this? Or do you think ultimately, you know, I, I actually don't deserve anything. That everything in my life is a product of God's gift and, and is a grace. And the way that you respond is going to determine what happens to you out of that. Now, it's worth noting in brief here that this is also a hard season for Leah and for Rachel. Uh, I think we can bet that uh, these past 13 years of marriage and family life to the same guy uh, were not what either of them probably had dreamt of. Not what probably either of these women had drawn up as their idealized life. And you know, part of the, what they learn through this hard season is that they, they realize who their father really is. Right? And how, how their father has really thought about them. And that is that Leah and Rachel have been sold as bargaining chips for uh, you know, however much their dad thought that he could get out of them whatever would bring him the most profit. And the nature of this transactional relationship with their father has become so clear to them that they have now come to the point virtually of disowning their father, which is really sad. You, you take into account like the, the level of importance of family at this time. But these are also Laban's wages. You, you, you may remember Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And so all of this time, during all of this season, Laban is, is doing all these deals, right? and these deals are profiting him, and, and he's coming out on top, and he's coming out ahead, but all of the time he is also earning his wages of death, the, the death of these relationships. He is earning 
day by day. Right? And so these have been some of the lessons for, for Rachel and Leah, right? as well as for Jacob during this, this hard season. It is, it is served as a time of refining. And this is one of the big lessons for us, right? is that God uses hardships. He uses hard seasons to refine us, right? to make us more beautiful, to make us better reflect Him, to, to make us more whole in who He wants us to be. Listen to Isaiah 48, 11 to 12. God says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Now, this is not a natural way of thinking about things for us. But when God claims us as His own, He is determined that we will become children who better and better reflect His name, His, his character, His identity, display that name and person better to those around us. So let's look at God's deliverance. So during hard seasons, like I just mentioned, God uses those times to refine and to purify us. But that's not the only deliverance that he ever, he ever has. I'm reminded here of the Calvin and, Strip, uh, Calvin and Hobbes. How many, people, how many people familiar with Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, one, of my, one of my favorite parts of this uh, comic book strip is that Calvin's dad... Uh, Calvin's six years old, right? and his dad has this recurring line that he will always say whenever Calvin complains about something, whenever Calvin has some sort of like hardship or difficult time, his dad will always say, it builds character. <laughs> that's, that's his answer to everything. That's, that's it. Right? So Calvin goes on this you know, uh, camping trip, and he gets just eaten alive by mosquitoes, and he's itchy all over, and, and then his, his dad will say, bug bites build character. <laughs> that's, that's the answer. Uh, you know, but it, it's important for us to realize when it comes to God that, that that's not all there is. Right? Sometimes that is the main thing. Right? It's this internal transforming of our spirit. because that, that is the most important thing. But a lot of times God will deliver in visible and tangible ways. And, and when He does that... Those ways, the ways he delivers visibly, also come with a purpose. And the purpose of that is that God gets the credit. God gets the glory. That we can see and we know, okay, this is God who did this. God is the one who saved me. That's what he's up to. He wants that to be clear. So you can look at what happens to Jacob and so Jacob is in the midst of this season of being oppressed. He's being oppressed, he's being mistreated, he, he's cheated, he's swindled by Laban, and God appears to him in a dream. And he shows him this vision of these, um, the, the, these uh, the goats and rams that are mating are all striped and spotted and mottled. All right? and so you've got to know or remember what Jacob's plan was uh, a pastor so earlier, he concocted this plan, right, where he was going to peel these 
uh, strips and these sticks and put them up right by the troughs, and, and this, was, this was what was going to help him engineer this selective breeding that was going to advantage him. Right? But, but what has happened over the course of this past season is that Laban has kept changing the deal. He's kept switching the terms of which sheep will actually, or which flock will actually belong to Jacob, so Jacob can't kind of get out ahead of him. And so God is trying to show Jacob here, through what's happening, right, through his challenges, through his defeats, that as clever as Jacob is, it's not going to be his cleverness. It's not going to be his ingenuity or his resourcefulness that is going to deliver Jacob. It's going to be God. It's going to be God's faithfulness, God's love, God's grace that brings Jacob through this. And so over the course of this past season, Jacob is going to actually have to repeatedly lose control over the situation. He is going to lose his ability to create a favorable outcome for himself. And that's going to happen so that God can drive home the point, it's God, it's me that's doing this. God's the only one he can count on, and his role is to just keep trusting and following God. And so by the end of this very long, very hard season, Jacob does seem to finally be realizing this. This is why he says to Leah and Rachel, verse 9, he says, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. So in in God's visible deliverance of Jacob here, he has done this in such a way that Jacob can see and can clearly give credit in the right place, which is to God. And for us, we have an even better and we have a clearer deal. Jesus has already taken cheating and slandering and deceit and injustice and oppression, and he has taken that for us so that we can have deliverance. And, and we, see, we see very clearly in the perfect life of Jesus, we see in his finished work on the cross, our deliverance is guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Right? And, and we have been delivered from the wrath and punishment of God that we actually deserve. And this deliverance, like for Jacob, happens entirely outside of us. This happened 2,000 years ago on a cross. Right? You and I had nothing to do with this. We had no role in orchestrating this deliverance that we receive. It's all for God so that God gets the credit. So two things for us to look for in the ways that God delivers in hard seasons. And one is look for God to show up in unexpected ways. Unexpected ways so that we know that it's God who gets the credit. And the second thing is that when, when God does deliver, that this, this happens so that we give credit in the right place. That, that's his purpose, right? So that as we are delivered through that, we give thanks to God. Right? And we know that it's God delivering as I just simply walk with and trust God. This brings us to the last point here, which is uh, Jacob's climactic deliverance from Laban. It's his exodus. And really, this is an exodus story. 
We're meant to see it that way. We're meant to see in this story a foreshadowing of what's going to happen 400 years later with the people, the nation that comes from Jacob as they are delivered out, as they reach an exodus in one night through God's incredible provision and they plunder the Egyptians. They come out with incredible wealth and prosperity and they escape from bondage and slavery and, and deception and oppression. Right? But in order for us to understand this Exodus story for Jacob, right, we've also got to understand the, the Israel's Exodus story. What is that about? Because that story also isn't an end to itself. Israel's Exodus story is pointing to something greater after it. And that is Jesus' deliverance of his people, us, Out of our bondage, out of our slavery to sin and the deception of sin. And in all of these Exodus stories, there's commonalities. There there is a call from God to go. There's a call from God on our lives to, to go, to leave behind, to escape what is holding us down, what is holding us captive, which is ultimately sin. And there is a promise. There's a couple promises. There is God's promise that He is going to deliver as we trust Him, as we follow Him. And there's God's promise that He says, and I will be with you. And I will be with you. There's four things that I want to observe just briefly as we're going to close up with these things right, about an Exodus pattern. These are, these are things that seem to happen in a pattern where there is an exodus. All right? And these are, will hopefully be helpful to us. They give us clues for what to look for in the exoduses that God will have for our life out of hard seasons. All right, so first one is uh, that there is some nudging needed. There is some nudging needed. You can see in the way that Jacob recounts uh, his dream and his reasons for his departure, that it seems evident that Jacob had known for some time that God was calling him to leave, to go back home, to to return to to this promised land. But for whatever reason, Jacob couldn't get there himself. He couldn't pull the trigger. And so he needed this nudging. He needed things to deteriorate around him. Things had to get to the point with Laban where there was this exterior pressure on Jacob where he just had to finally come to the point and be like, okay, all right, I guess I'm going to finally just go and follow God where he wants me to go. And isn't this the way that it works a lot of times for us? That, that we need this, a lot of times God to do this external nudging in order to actually step into an exodus, to step into the good things that God has for us as we walk and we follow Him. Sometimes we need some of that pressure. Second thing is that God reminds us of His faithfulness. God, in His interaction with Jacob, He he says this about, you know, basically, hey, Jacob, you know, remember that pillar? Remember that that whole time you came out here 20 years ago, remember that dream that you had and you woke up, you set up the pillar and you made a vow? It's still me. I'm still the same God. Right? And I'm going to be with you in this next step 
just like I've been with you all these past 20 years. And God does this a lot right, with his people. That He gives these reminders of his past faithfulness, of his past presence. And this is why he'll say things like, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Or I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God who brought you back out of exile. He's doing this in order to remind us that although, yes, there is something new ahead of you, there's a lot that's the same. There's a lot that hasn't changed. I'm still the same God. I am still someone you can depend on and you can count on. And that's always going to be there. Third thing for us to notice, that is that God delivers as we follow Him. God delivers as we follow Him. So you'll see that in Jacob's exodus, in Israel's exodus, in our exodus, none of these are purely passive. We've got to know, yes, it's God doing the work, it's God who is delivering, but that doesn't ever mean that we get to just kind of sit back and do nothing. There is a call to action. There's a call to movement in a particular direction. There's a call to step forward in trusting God and doing the next thing. And so God doesn't work usually in some sort of disconnected, abstract way from our will right, and, and our efforts. He works through our will and through our efforts. And so Jacob, he, he's got to gather all of his family. He's got to bring them all together. And he's got to gather up all of his possessions, all of his things. He's got to pack up and he has to actually go. Right? And it's the same sort of thing for us. We've got to follow where God is leading and and do that. Fourth thing and and final thing, and that is that when God delivers, when he brings us an exodus, he is always doing something new, and he is always doing something to bring us more freedom. And I kind of snuck in two there, but but they're, they're together. He's always doing something new, and he is always doing something to bring us more freedom. Right? I mean, you can think about the newness, right? Just you think about practical external examples in your life, or you, you've come into deliverances, or you had like a new job, or, or here's a new home, or a new place, or a new relationship. Right? But, but this has particular relevance to the spiritual exodus that God has for us as he leads us out of sin. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us a new direction in life. God promises that he says he's going to give us a new heart and a new mind. He gives us new desires, things that we never actually wanted before. God gives to us in that exodus. So so there is always something new that God is going to point us toward, which is also why it means it's usually also scary. And and also, God, through an exodus, he is always, always bringing us to more freedom. He is always bringing us out of bondage, out of fear, out of oppression, into more freedom. He wants to lead us out of a place of constraints to a place where we are more free. Where where we are free to, to love and enjoy and serve God. Right? And enjoy Him and the good things that He has for us. 
that our job right in the midst of all of this is simply just to trust and follow Jesus. That's it. We, we trust and follow Jesus in hard seasons. And when you can't see the end, you can't see how this is going to turn out. Right? And when it comes time for the exodus, which God will bring, we've got to trust and follow Jesus as we step into the new thing. Right? An- another forward step that God has in our lives. So let's pray that God would strengthen us, enable us to do that. Father, we thank you for your deliverance. We thank you that uh, in all of our seasons of life, you are with us. You promise to be with us. Uh, And that doesn't make things less hard. That doesn't make things less challenging. But it does give us hope. It gives us purpose. It gives us meaning. And, and, And we have you to trust on and rely on in that. So we thank you for that, and we just pray that you would give us the strength wherever we are in order just to keep trusting and following you. In Jesus' name, amen.